Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, I too would like to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room and uh, hope you are enjoying uh, the elaborate uh, breakfasts that were cooked for you this morning as you rolled out of bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's always good to start with a joke, you know, it kind of warms the, it gets things kind of going and, and, and running, yeah. Our passage this morning is from Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're back to our series on hope. You can hope for a breakfast next year. Um... <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, would you uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word? Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so... We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So Father, as we come to you this morning uh, and to your word, pray that you would uh, teach us how to nurture this hope in our hearts, the sureness of your salvation and the coming of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, this is now our fourth week uh, that we've been in this series that we've been calling Defiant uh, hope, which we're talking about, how do we live with hope? And over the past few weeks, we've been uh, casting uh, a vision for what life with hope can look like. We've talked about the destructive effects of putting our hope in, in things that don't deliver, in, in false hope. We've looked at the anti-hope attitude, uh, known as cynicism, which wars against our soul, which makes uh, difficult or impossible to live with hope. And last week, of course, we talked about how hope is part of our mission to the world as agents of hope, people who can help bring hope to the hopeless in our world. And all of this talk about hope and all this focus about hope over the last uh, few weeks is just because we have this sense that hope doesn't grow naturally in our present day environment. Uh, in fact, I think we live in a culture that is toxic to hope. It's like the environment actually eats away at whatever hope a person has to begin with. And it can be uh, very hard to even sustain, let alone grow something in an environment that is working against it. Trust me. I know. Yesterday was a sad day in the Holcomb house because the three-year experiment that was my lemon tree ended yesterday. 
Some of you might remember my sad lemon tree from a message that I uh, preached last summer. And, uh, and I had been planning, yes, this is the way the preacher mind works. I had been planning all year that this summer I would bring it back as a shining object lesson for <laughs> what our life can become if we fertilize and care for it. Problem is, I didn't really care for it. And the environment that it was in wasn't fostering its growth. And so left alone, my lemon tree languished. And so instead today, I bring it up as an object lesson for what can happen to our hope if we don't nurture and care for it. You see, on its own, there is little in our culture that will sustain our hope. Now, don't get me wrong. We do have a lot of access to a lot of, well, false hopes, you know, that people in the rest of the world don't have. But really, all the money and political freedom and career advancement opportunities and education that we really have at our disposal in America... They can actually serve as, as placebos, simply postponing the inevitable disappointment that will come when they, well, when they are proven to be false sources of hope. So this morning we are going to be centering our time on how to nurture hope in our lives, how to foster it, how to create the correct environment for it, how to protect it from the hope toxins toxic forces in our world. Because at the end of the day, like most spiritual virtues, like most fruits of the Spirit, hope is not like a spiritual muscle that you can strengthen by simply trying harder to hope. There aren't necessarily hope, you know, curls that you can do three sets of, you know, every few days that can increase the strength of your hope. Hope arises instinctively when we expect something good, when we expect something that we desire, something that we are looking forward to is on its way. And so, of course, the first thing that we need to look at when it comes to nurturing hope in our lives is, well, the good that we are hoping for. We need to acquire a taste for the goodness of the kingdom of God. Like, for those of you uh, who are around uh, students or teachers or even, you know, school nurses, as the case may be, you might notice that there is a, well, there's a little spring in their steps these days, right? The normal doldrums and uh, deep sighs, given away to smiles and laughter and positivity, even. Why? Well, because school's almost over. The good thing that they have been looking forward to since last August is at hand. What you're seeing are the beginning evidences of hope in their life. Now, nobody told them that they needed to hope harder. It's not an assignment or part of a final that would ruin the whole thing. 
It just has appeared naturally when this good thing that they were looking forward to is for sure and is coming. Our heart in those moments, in those instance, instances, it instinctively reacts with hope. Of course, on the other hand, if you know any parents of school-age children, you might notice, well, something a little bit different. For them, you might notice a slight pale look to their face, uh, little beads of sweat forming on their forehead. Shake their hands, you might find them to be clammy, their heart rate a bit accelerated. Why? Well, because school's almost over. And what you're witnessing with them is the beginnings of a panic attack. What on earth are we going to do with these kids for the next, you know, two months? And it's the same event. The difference in their reaction is whether or not this thing that is coming in the future is something that, well, you consider good or not. Is this something that you are looking forward to or not? It's the difference really between hope and despair. So when we hear the statement, the kingdom of God is at hand. God is always at work establishing his kingdom, bringing his glory to earth. Is that something that we consider good or not? And I know we're in church, so it's tempting to say, well, of course it is. Hallelujah. You know, because it's, it's the right answer here. But I think it's important to take some time and really actually meditate on the question, does the idea of the world working just the way God wants it to work? Is that something that I'm looking forward to? Is it something I think is good? Verse 3 here, Paul uh, writes, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Is being surrounded by the glory of God something that I am looking forward to the way my kids are looking forward to summer vacation? And I think it's good for us to recognize that for most of us, the real answer to that question is, well, no, not, I mean, not really, not all the time. And this isn't because we're bad people or that we don't love God or that we don't have faith. We just have to be honest. We don't necessarily know really what the kingdom of God is like. We don't know what God's glory would feel like, what life will be like. When the kingdom of God is operating at its fullness. We haven't developed a taste for the ways of God. We haven't figured out that all the good stuff that we are looking for in life is found in him. All the ways that we wish the world would get fixed, get fixed in him. And so the first and really the most important thing that we need to do to nurture hope within ourselves is to acquire a taste for the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 tells us. 
And that is really a process. Because for those of us that have grown up in a fallen and broken world, the ways of the kingdom, they're foreign to us. They are an acquired taste, an acquired skill for us. And we have to grow into it. We've grown up feeding on other types of hope. You know that moment when, you know, as a grown-up, you go back and you eat something that as a kid, you like your brain tells you, oh, I remember, I used to love, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I, for me, I grew up on, um, I grew up on Velveeta cheese. Actually, you know, to be more accurate, I should say Velveeta cheese product. That's what it says on the box. The cheese product. It came in this vacuum sealed, like aluminum cube thing and then you know carol and i got married and uh she's going to the store she's what do you want me to get and i said you know hey i need some Velveeta cheese and she she sort of gagged a little bit when at the thought of the whole idea and she very kindly introduced me to actual cheese and now, to go back and eat Velveeta, like, I'm surprised the FDA even lets that stuff be sold in, like, the grocery. They should sell that at Home Depot or at an auto parts store or something. That's really the process that we need to go through to nurture hope. See, the old ways we used to think, like, you know, like, oh, that being served is way better than serving. Or that being first is way better than being last. Or that receiving is better than giving. Like we need to acquire a taste for the ways of the kingdom. And realize that in fact, it is better to serve than be served. It is better to give than to receive. It is better to be last than to be first. Because it is those things. The ways of the kingdom of God, they are going to win out in the end. They are the things that are surely coming. It is the way life is going to be for all eternity. That's why Jesus could say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, God is making sure that righteousness is coming. And we'll win the day. But that fact will only be a source of hope to us if we have developed a taste for righteousness. A taste for God's kingdom and its ways. So how do we acquire a taste for the goodness of the kingdom of God? Well, we have to, you know, we have to learn what it is, right? You have to learn the ways of the kingdom. There's really, there's no shortcut for that. We just, we've got to read the Bible. <laughs> um, spend time looking at the kinds of things that God thinks are important. Spend time reflecting and meditating on Jesus, his teaching, his example, his ways of dealing with people around him in the world. The writings of the Bible are the best way to understand God's plan, God's vision for the world. And then, of course, we just need to try it. 
right? We've got to practice living out some of the principles of the way of the kingdom of God and see for ourselves that they are, in fact, good. Do that. You begin to acquire a taste for them. You're longing for more and more of our lives, more and more of the world to be as God intended them to be, as God is actively working in making them be. So that as we see God at work, it will strengthen our hope. Another way we can uh, nurture hope in our lives is by persevering through suffering. Verse 3, Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Which, at first glance, is kind of counterintuitive, right? Doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, you would think that suffering would produce despair, not hope. Suffering would produce uh, bitterness, not And that is true, of course, if our hope is in things that don't come through. If we have placed our hope in things that fail, like money, like politics, like reputation, or even religion, for that matter. Then when suffering comes and our hopes fail, well then, yes, we are left in despair. We are left in bitterness. We are left in cynicism. But when we are learning to put our hope in God and the promise of his kingdom, well, then when suffering comes and our hope rings true, well, then our hope is confirmed and strengthened. Because you see, ultimately, our hope can only be tested through suffering. <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, what I imagine when I think of testing a parachute, right? Like the only way to really test a parachute and to see if it's going to hold you is if you're falling through the sky. I mean, it's all nice and good to say that our hope in the case of an engine malfunction on a plane is in the parachute. But really, there's no way for that hope to be proven true as long as, you know, the plane is cruising along at a nice, steady, 30,000-foot easy ride. And yes, of course, you can test it let's say on a box first or on someone else uh, first. And, and both of those are great kind of first steps at kind of developing hope in the parachute. But you'll never really know until you're the one that's falling through the sky, right? The saving power of the parachute will never be proven until it is tested under Stress. Until then, your hope will be weak and it will be susceptible to cynicism or despair. And the same is true, really, of our hope in God. As long as our hope in God remains theoretical. Well, it is really susceptible to argument. It is susceptible to distraction. But when we've been through suffering, persevered in God's ways, and found ourselves delivered on the other side? Well, now then, you know, God and his ways are proven true. And our hope in him strengthens. Now, of course, here, the stipulation is to persevere through suffering. 
right? It is only through persevering through suffering that the ways of God are confirmed. If we bail out in the midst of suffering, in other words, if we like forsake the ways of God and his kingdom in the midst of our suffering, well then our confidence in God will not be confirmed. Our hope will not be strengthened. What we have to avoid here is this, this whole Jesus plus thing that Manuel was talking about a few weeks ago. I mean, imagine, imagine the plane is crashing, right? And someone's telling you, here, take this parachute. And you take the parachute and you, you know, you put it on. And, but just at the last minute, as you are, you know, on your way out of one of the emergency exits that are located here, here, and here, um, you reach in and you grab your lucky rabbit's foot. Right? So you jump out of the plane, fly through the sky, pull the ripcord, and start rubbing your lucky rabbit's foot. Well, when you land on the ground, you'll be saying, Boy, am I glad that I stopped to grab my lucky rabbit's foot. That could have been a disaster. You won't realize that it was, in fact, the parachute that saved you. You're going through a stressful time in life. It's hard. And you're hoping that God will get you through this difficult time and that his peace will preside throughout your life. But in the midst of it all, you just need, just need a little something. Just something to get you through the morning. Something to get you through the day. So you self-medicate with alcohol or food or pornography. Or maybe you're feeling uh, really insecure in a conversation and you're really trying to rely on, on God's approval and love for you and have your identity rest in Him and what He thinks about you. But in the midst of all, you just, just need something to help, to help you feel better so, that, so you begin to talk poorly about a coworker, or you make yourself seem more important by boasting of your accomplishments. Or you're getting on in age and you're getting closer to retirement and so you click on that article that says, you know, how much people at your age have saved up for retirement and you read through the article and you realize, oh no, I don't have enough saved And you really want to trust God for your provision, but, you know, just in case you, well, you stop giving to his work and you start diverting some of those funds to your retirement account. And you see, when we do that, when we get in the midst of suffering or stress or discomfort and we bail out on our trust in God's ways and we start relying on whatever we think our little you know, lucky rabbit's foot is, or as the Bible would call it, whatever our idol is. We don't get to see that God's ways are in fact trustworthy. And so our hope in him does not grow. And of course, it's not about being perfect. We've all had times in suffering when we bailed out, we've relied on our idols to get us through, and it's not by the way, either, that if you persevere through suffering, that you will get the result that you want. 
People who follow God's way still get laid off, still lose loved ones, still get sick. People who follow and rely on God's ways still die. But even in the midst of not getting what they want, God's provision, care, love, his kingdom, his ways are proven true to them. So that even on that day, when our strength is failing, the end draws near and our time has come. We can still be full of hope. In the coming reality of the kingdom of God. Third way to nurture hope that this passage has for us is to notice what we already have. You know why every school kid is brimming with hope right now at the thought of summer vacation? Well, because they already have a taste of summer vacation, right? It's called the weekend. Like, every student is excited about summer vacation because they know what a Saturday feels like. They know what a Sunday feels like. With all of its freedom and fun and open possibilities. So, of course, they have hope in summer vacation, right? Because, well, it's kind of like the weekend except for longer. Paul says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame... Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, has been given to us. See, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our spirit becomes open to God's Spirit. We begin a relationship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we begin to feel what it would be like to be present to God in all his glory. We begin to see God's hand in our life. We begin to see evidence of his kingdom at work all around us. Things that we used to miss or that would seem like coincidences to us. They now become examples of God's kingdom working in our lives and the lives around us. And the glory of God ceases to become this obscure thing that waits us far off in the future. And we begin to realize we actually already have chunks of what we are hoping for right now. And the normal routines of our life actually become now confirmations of our hope in God. And two things that we can do to enter into this whole thing. One, of course, is just practice thanking God for stuff. Practice giving thanks to God. Be on the lookout for signs of God's love for you. Of his provision for you. Listen for the stirrings of the Holy Spirit pointing out God's goodness and love at work in your life. And then say thank you. When we skip being grateful to God for the evidences of his glory, uh, what we're actually training ourselves to do is to not see them or to take them for granted. Like even basic stuff like breathing. When was the last time that we felt the pleasure of a breath? It just feels really good. 
We can thank God for that pleasure. Thank God for the goodness of breath. Second thing that we can do to notice what we already have from God is to listen to stories, be around stories of hope from other people. This is something that Mike mentions a couple weeks ago, but it's just so important. We have to, I just want to mention it again today. Like going back to the whole parachute thing, uh, like imagine, so I'm floating down, you know, rub, 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 really, really, really into my rabbit's foot, and I'm going down, and I land on the ground, say, whew, wow, lucky me, you had my rabbit's foot uh, saving my life, but then you land on the ground, right? See, we're all in the plane together, people. We're all in the plane together. So then you land on the ground next to me, and you don't have a lucky rabbit's foot. But you say, wow, aren't these parachutes great? And then somebody else lands and goes, did you feel that? It's like you're flying when you're going with these parachutes. And then there's like another one comes down, another one comes down, and, and then, you know, there's this whole group of people, and they get together to tell their story. Let's say, you know, they get together like on a Sunday morning, let's say nine o'clock or whatever. And they, they're telling their stories about, wow, that parachute, so awesome. And I'm sitting there going, well, maybe it's not the lucky rabbit's foot. Maybe it's this thing that I have strapped to my back that is saving. You, you get the picture? This is what happens when we are around authentic stories of God's kingdom promises proving true in our lives. The Holy Spirit can say, hey, God is doing the same thing for you. If you just open your eyes to see it fact is such an important way to nurture hope that we're actually taking the message time next week and we're just dedicating it to us sharing stories of hope with one another so that's coming next week so start thinking about it now Would you bow your heads as we pray father we thank you for your kingdom and we thank that you that you are reliable that we are hope in you however feeble however weak, however tentative it may be, our hope in you is always proven true. As God, we just pray that you would stir in us, that we might see your hand already at work. That we would feel your salvation already present in our lives. And that we might be able to boast in the hope that we have in you. God, we know of your goodness. We have heard the stories. We have seen it in our life. And God, we just want that to be the center of our attention. Holy Spirit, keep us there. Keep us, our eyes focused on you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.